Hello, everybody. Dr. Rick Wallace here dropping in on you. I hope that everybody is having an unbelievable day. As for me, uh, it's business as usual. I had an unbelievable time over the weekend celebrating my wife on Mother's Day and celebrating the other mothers in my family, uh, remembering uh, my mom, uh, Ernest Lee Wallace, uh, celebrating my biological mom, Linda Mays. And so, uh, it was a reflective day, but I think that watching the joy in the face of my wife with everything that has gone on in her life to be able to have such a wonderful time was awesome. So uh, I'm here now ready to put in the work to keep pushing forward to do the things that I'm designed and built to do and passionate about. Um, we have been talking for some time about this thing that's going on, and I don't want to make it a focus on any one person, but I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. You know, this idea of, um, hello, sweet tea. Uh, look, this idea of a high valued man and what a woman should have to do in order to have a high valued man uh, in viewing the high value man as the prize instead of a part of a partnership. And my problem with the whole idea of a high valued man is I think that we have a skewed view, a skewed understanding, uh, a warped sense of the role of a man, uh, especially as it uh, involves the black community. Being a black man comes with some unique challenges and unique responsibilities, but it also comes with some unique gifts that much must be accessed uh, actualized and actualized. And so what I wanted to do was talk about the making of a high value man in the sense of truth, because what I firmly believe based on year hours and years of research is that we have commodified the black man above in any other man in the, 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 the culture today commodifies men anyway, but no man has been more commodified than the black man. The black man's total worth is almost invested entirely in what he's capable to capable of providing financially and materially. If you take away the composite uh, reality of what a man earns and brings to the table in the way he he earns or what he earns, there's very little discussion on the table about what truly makes a good man. And in the sense of where I want to focus a good black man, because black manhood is unique and it comes with it on, with its own set of challenges. And so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about it culturally. I want to talk about it from a scientific perspective. I want to talk about it from a historical perspective. I want to really truly look at what I believe it takes in order to have a real true high value man and what that man looks like and what that man should be expected to do and what that man should expect from uh, his female counterpart. I want to remind you that we are consistently and constantly doing work in the black community through the Odyssey Project. And we 
definitely would love to have your support. There's uh, always going to be a way that you can support the Odyssey Project listed in the description box of the videos associated with the work we do uh, and the videos that I make. So uh, there's a link in the chat um, that you can that I'll constantly as we move forward, that you can show your love, show your support and ensure that we're able to continue to do the research, the program development, the in community involvement and so forth. With that being said, let's move on. All right, there's a number of different elements. I chose five. These five can be broken down in a number of different ways, but I think they are uh, clearly core components of black manhood. And I'm going to talk to talk on each one briefly, and we'll we'll take it from there. First and foremost, before anything, a, a, a true man, a black man must be a protector, a protector. He must be a spiritual, emotional, and physical covering for those in his family, starting with his wife, his children, uh, and then branching out to extended family, friends, and the community. He is by first and foremost a protector physically and emotionally and spiritually. And I think that this is one of the components that uh, are lost, that one of the components that have ha has been lost in, in the evaluation of black manhood. I don't think enough goes into the importance of protecting our women uh, as much as we want to demand of our women. I think that we must provide an environment for them to be who they are. Our women are exceptional, but when you don't provide an environment that's conducive uh, to them reaching their full potential, you get a marred and warped sense of who they are based on how they're navigating the environment that the black man creates. See, the black man creates the environment. The black man creates an environment that's either safe or unsafe. He creates an environment that, that is either peaceful or hostile. He creates an environment and through that environment, he gets an environment returned to him based on what the woman is able to produce. See, the woman is an incubator. The woman is naturally built to take something you give her and bring you something back greater. You give her your seed, she brings you your progeny, your offspring. You give her groceries, she brings you a meal. You give her a house, she turns it into a home. You give her a card to, ma to mail to your mom. When you see that card, next time you're at your mom's house, it, she'll tell you it had $100 in it. It's got some drawing in it. It's got a bunch of other things because she simply takes what you get, multiplies it. If you give her your vision, she will put it in her spiritual womb and she will birth it into reality in a way that you can never imagine. We were not meant to operate separately. We were not meant to operate hostile to one another. We were meant to merge together feminine energy and masculine energy and create a synergistic force. Synergy is simply the sinking of two different types of energy to create a force that neither type of energy in and of itself could create. And until we get an understanding of that, we're going to always have a problem in achieving the things we say we want to achieve. There must be uh, a, a, an element and core component of being a protector. And yes, the, the black man must be a provider. The black man must be a provider. He must be the primary contributor to the welfare and uh, upkeep of his family. And I say primary. Why? Because one thing that my grand, grandmother taught me, my great grandmother, who was my adopted mother, Ernest Lee Wallace, taught me is that baby in this time and age, it takes two. Now I've been blessed to get into points where most of my life, it only required one. While at every one of those points, my counterpart worked anyway, but there have been times where it's gotten tough. 
Well, when you really truly uh, look at it, uh, this ongoing conversation about the black man being the uh, person who pays everything, I think is a good thing. If you're in a place to do that, yes, do it. But the truth of the matter is we're in a situation where many times the black woman out earns the black man. That's not by accident. We can go back to 1960 and we can start to see where this starts to unfold. And it was done on purpose. I'm not going to get into that. That's not why I'm here. Uh, but what we can understand is there's actually very little cultural and historical uh, framing or, or influences that can sit up and support that. If a man can't pay all the bills, and I'm, I, I, I want to point on something. If the man can't pay all the bills. He's not a real man. Second of all, most of the time that the pressure is put on the man to pay all the bills, we're not talking about essentials. We're talking about a particular lifestyle that the woman desires. See, what about if we got rid of all of the fluff and say the essentials, a safe place to live, the water, gas, all that paid for, a um, dependable vehicle. Most men could do that. But that's not what most women want. So, yes, I'm, 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 I'm going to talk to both men and women. That's not what most women want. Most women want what the world is telling them they have to have. And most black men can't provide that because we are purposely underemployed, purposely unemployed and purposely incarcerated at a high level, which makes us even more unemployable. And so we have to look at the grand scope of things and see how it is. And even if you go off into the religious aspect and, and, and the Bible says that any man that does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel. It says that. But the same Bible also points when it speaks of a virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31, we find that the virtuous woman has businesses, is contributing financially to the home and has a major influence on how her husband is viewed among the respected men in the community. This is a united front. This is a united thing. This isn't you come along and rescue me from poverty and meet some romantic notion that has developed over the years of a knight in shining armor. No, this is two people coming together with a common goal, a common focus, and a common insight and saying, hey, we're going to do this together. We're going to build together. You're going to be this knowing your role, and I'm going to do this knowing my role, and together we're going to accomplish, accomplish some extraordinary, unbelievable things together. We're going to create a family of children who do the same. That's what it should be about. Then the third core element of a truly high value black man is he's a leader. And here's the here, here's the thing about it. Now, this is where I kind of touch on some of the stuff I see that I really, really just loathe. And that is a true leader never points the finger. At those he's leading. See, when you say you're the head, when you say you're the king, when you say, you, you know, you're that person where the buck stops with you. As a leader, you go out in front, you pave the road, you pave the pathway, you clear it, and you lead those who you're responsible for towards a better place. You create an environment of empowerment and betterment. You drive, you're the driving force behind it. You set the standard first by how you carry yourself, by how you engage what you're supposed to be doing, but also by the environment that you create that says, I'm supportive of what you're supposed to be. Let me help you get there.
there. Let me talk to you about what I see. Not let me tear you down and scold you, but let me be honest with you about it. Let me tell you what I see. Let me show you how we can get that together. Let me love you. I have said this before, and I will continue to say it again. With everything that our Black women have been through, from the moment that we set here, set foot here as a people, through throughout slavery, throughout uh, uh, throughout uh, uh, the times after slavery, all the way up through Jim Crow, uh, and, and and on through mass everything that we've been through, all of that. Our women have been through a lot. Malcolm said our women are the un, most unprotected, uh, the most uncared for, the most uh, unsafe. And he he, he used a, a couple of other adjectives that described where our women were. And, and so when you look at that, you got to understand that when the family was forcefully dis, uh, disrupted uh, starting in the 60s, despite a warning by Daniel Patrick Monahan in the Monahan report, uh, which was actually titled The Negro Family, A Case for National a- Action, Despite a warning that the best way to up, uplift and uphold the black family would be to take money that they had planned to go into social programs like welfare and Section 8 housing and so many other things for black women and children. Take that money, put it into creating government jobs, give black men jobs and let black men take care of their family. Let me see. Uh, hold on. Let me. I'm gonna stop and see. Each one is a leader of self. However, when leaders sit at the table, who becomes the leader? Well, each is a leader of their specialty and expertise. I agree 100. I think that's a part of unity as well. Uh, one thing that we have when we commodify the black man, we create a competitive nature. Why? Because that's how the black man sees himself being viewed in the community. And he wants to stand out in that area. When you truly know who you are and you start to operate within your own focus and your own leadership, your own area of expertise, especially, you have no need to compete with others because you automatically stand out where you're supposed to stand out. Uh, I, I agree with that from what, from what you, uh, from what you wrote, but in leadership, we're talking about this again in leadership, it's about knowing where you're at, what you're supposed to be doing and setting an environment and leading by example, by love, by fo- focus and by force, not forcing those behind you, but forcing your way through the difficult moments, understanding that being a leader is not easy. Being a le- it, It's easy to point the finger when stuff doesn't go wrong. It's easy for any coach in professional sports to say that guy wasn't where they were supposed to be. And that's why we lost. But at the end of the day, anybody that knows sports knows who's going to get fouled, who's going to be held responsible. They weren't where you were. They were supposed to be because you didn't prepare them good enough. You didn't have them prepared to be in the place they were supposed to be in. That's how it's going to be. Look, so the leader has to be responsible for things that they may not even be doing. Why? That's the role that a leader plays. It comes It comes with a heavy responsibility. See, people want the title, but very few people are prepared to walk it, to live it. People ask me all times. I agree. I agree. True leadership starts with understanding how to follow. But as a male, it should be ingrained early in the psyche of young men 
the responsibility of leadership. See, leadership is also about carrying out responsibility. Somebody's always following someone. There are people that I look to as a 50-year-old, 50, as a 54-year-old with grandkids. There's still men I look to. And then there's a growing number of men who look to me. Not because I think I know it all, but because they can come to me and I'm going to embrace them and I'm going to challenge them to actually excel and achieve above what I have done. And there are so many other elements. Second of all, getting back to the, the final part of this leadership thing. You have to own it. And be willing to push through the difficulty. You have to be willing to stand up and say, you know what, no matter what. We're going to get through this. And you have to be willing to teach. You have to be willing to learn. You have to be willing to teach. you got to be a constant, consistent, eternal learner uh, because things are evolving. Things are changing. You never arrive. You never know it all. You don't always have it. That's why you surround yourself with wisdom. That's why you surround yourself with men who have done what you are trying to do. That's a part of growing into your own unique level of leaderships. And then the next thing is a leader has to be a visionary. A leader has to have the capacity to see beyond what's happening now and visualize a better tomorrow and then determine how it is to be achieved. A visionary is essential. Being a visionary is essential to leadership because that takes you into the next level. Life is about next level. Life is about next level living. No matter whether you're a person, an individually, a fam, an individual, a family, a company, no matter what, it's about the next level. How am I getting to the next level? Why do I get all of those who are looking to me? to the next level? How, first of all, do I get them to buy in to this strategy? How do I get them to be a part of it? How do I get them to own it? Where do the strategies lie? And then you start to take action. You've got to be able to see the vision. You've got to be able to present the vision. You've got to be able to set the vision and then move people into it. You have to be a visionary. Finally, a man must be directly acquainted with and engaged in his work. Now, let me make this clear. When I talk about work, I'm not talking about your job. See, that's why so many men are commodified, because they're associated with their job. So now, when you really, truly begin to be invested in your work, most of the time, it'll end up being your vocation. You'll end up taking your work, the thing you were built to do, the thing that's in your DNA, the way you were designed to be a difference maker in the world, you will turn out and you will find out that that is how you will end up being paid. That will have a major impact on your value, not the income. The income is just a result of you being invested in who you were designed to be. It's a secondary symptom of being in alignment with who you are. Most people aren't engaged and most males are not truly acquainted with, less, let alone, less alone engaged in their work. They're chasing 
ideas and careers and degrees and a bunch of other things, nothing's wrong with any of that. But if you don't know why you're here at the core level, what you were designed to do, what is it about you that's special? Uh, what is it that literally sets you apart in your specific area? If you don't know that, if you don't have an idea of what that is, then you will be wandering and meandering through a maze of average mediocrity and, and, and you know, never really truly arriving and being exactly what you mean. And there's a level of confidence that comes along with being exactly what you are designed to be. Why? Because when you're there, you are the best at it because you were the one designed to do it. And there's nobody that does it like you do. And you're safe in that space and it allows you to function. You're never threatened by anybody else's presence. You're never threatened by other great men. You're never threatened by the expectations of a woman. You're never threatened by any of that. You have to be fully engaged in your design. You have to be fully engaged in your purpose. That's what your work is. That's what your work is about, is being fully engaged. See, this whole idea that a high value man is somebody that earns six figures and carries itself a certain way, dresses, drives a certain type of whip and all that has really truly diminished the idea of black manhood and commodified it and made it something small. But it, but it, what it did is it created this elite category where men start to feel themselves because they are doing this, but they're lacking in so many other areas. I'm not saying don't go get the six figures and the seven figures. Definitely go get it because there's a need for power and wealth in the community, but have an understanding of how you're going to use it, have an understanding of how you're going to carry yourself with it. See, the one thing is when you don't truly know who you are and you obtain a certain amount of riches, it will amplify the orises and the cracks in your character. It will have you behaving and carrying yourself in a way that's not truly of black manhood. It will have you treating people as if they're less than you and not seeing your ability to bring them up with you. See, there's a difference. When you truly are acquainted with who you are as a man, the, the idea isn't to stand above anybody, it's to reach down and pull up everybody, it's to bring everybody along. Why? Because you're not threatened by anybody, because nobody can be you. That's one of the problems that we have. We have a situation right now to where we got a bunch of men who think they are part of the elite because they are the 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 the, the 5% of black men that earn x amount of dollars. And being a part of that, I could tell you that if you don't know who you are, it will come and get you. I stopped being defined by how much I made 25 years ago. Luckily I did because about 15 years ago, it got disrupted. It got shook up and it went away in a way that I could never have imagined that it went away. And if I would have only been acquainted with and identified with how much I made, I might've killed myself. But see, my identity was in who I was in totality. That only made up a small part of me. So I never lost sight of who I was. I was still able to parent. I was still able to love. I was still able to lead. Matter of fact, I was even more emphatically 
anchored in serving other people at the time than I was in trying to overcome this, this, this temporary offset. I rebuild from laying on my back to where I'm at now out of confidence and love. I never attacked anyone. I never tore anybody down. That I don't have to tear anybody down. Now, I will call brothers on what I think they're doing, but I call it in love. That's not a brother. I'm not willing to in love on. I don't care where you're at, what you do, what you do that I don't agree with. I have a love for my people, and I'm able to talk that and be real with that and still be me. See, I'm not threatened by where you are. I'm not threatened by anyone. I can sit down with anybody from any community and talk to them. Why? Because you don't threaten who I am. I know who I am. I've walked it. I've lived it long enough that I'm unshakable in it. You know, you, some may say arrogant. You can call it what you want to, but you got to know who you are as a man, especially a black man at a level that there's absolutely nothing can anyone can do to you that's going to shake you and move you out of a position to lead your people. And what I can tell you is if all you're anchored in is how much you make, they got you. That's why you got so many black men now that's selling out in order to maintain their positions. Why? Because all they identify is with that money and the space it has created for them. They have no other anchor, nothing else solid to lean on. So they hang on to that with dear life. So all I have to do is say, if I, I'll take this, this job away from you. I'll take this show away from you. I'll take this career away from you. And all of a sudden, they lining up and they saying things they may not necessarily even agree with. Why? Because I can't afford to lose it. I've never been at a point where I'm, I can't afford to lose anything. Yes, money has become their God. They have stood up and that's all they know. And the world is telling them this makes you valuable, but it's not money that makes you valuable. It's the distance you are willing to go to love and protect those you have been given the responsibility to cover. I was told by some young brothers when I I addressed this in a video uh, last week that my idea of manhood is antiquated. No, no. Technology becomes antiquated. Manhood is an eternal principle. It doesn't become antiquated. Now, what happens is people come along and because they don't want to live up to the standard, they try to redefine it. They try to change it. Sometimes people come in and because they want to control a certain group, they'll push a narrative on them and try to redefine something. And a lot of people will grab a hold to it because it's a lot easier to obtain this than it is trying to walk and live this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit up and just take this new idea and just run with it. Hell, man, it's less accountability. What I can tell you is anytime you're in the world and you're functioning from a place of lower or lesser accountability, you're focused, you're functioning from a place of lesser impact. In order to achieve and live life the way you're supposed to, to be the impact in this world, to build a legacy that speaks of you long after you're gone, you got to have a level of accountability to live life at a different level. It was Dr. King that says a man that doesn't have something for which he is willing to die is not fit to live. Whether you agree with his earlier earlier stances and positions or you're more like me and you look at the last year of Dr. King and that's how you view him the part of his life that literally got him killed. He knew it was going to get him killed and he still walked in it. You know, my my hero, my personal hero, Malcolm X, and look at how he walked it, how he lived it and understood that where he was going and how he was living was probably going to cost him. Neither one of them made it to 40. 
Because when you start to walk in that type of environment, that type of aura, in that type of life, you put targets on your back. I've lost clients, international clients in my business uh, endeavors because of my unapologetic black voice. Hey, hey, we, we love the work you're doing for us. But we heard about something on the on, on YouTube, but we heard about something on Instagram and uh, we kind of looked at it and we think that's not something we can be associated with. We, 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 we're willing to overlook that, but we need you. Oh, my God. Dr. Khalid Muhammad, man, you done shook me. That brother. Hmm, that brother, just say his name, that brother, right? That, that's what I'm talking about. But these people came to me and, and, and told me, look, we can overlook this, but we need you to tone it down. And my, my, my response was, I have, I've appreciated the opportunity you've given to work with you. I've appreciated the work you've given, but uh, I will not be toning it down. I will not tone it down. I will not sit up and acquiesce to some demand for me to be lesser to my people, to make other people feel comfortable. I don't walk my life like that on any level. I'm never going to tell anyone or, or live my life, first of all. And I tell my kids the same thing. Never make yourself small to make other people comfortable. Never deny yourself to make people comfortable. People have to be comfortable in who you are or they don't deserve to be around you. We need more Khalid Muhammad's, more Malcolm's more later era Markham's, more Marcuses. We got some brothers out here now, but their voice is being squeezed. Why? Because the world doesn't want you to hear them. And I'm pushing them and I'm giving them everything I have because I want these brothers to rise up because I want to show not only what they're saying, but how they're living. That's what black manhood is about. That's what a high value black man looks like. He's holding it down in every principal category of manhood, not simply what he brings home and puts in the bank account. Don't get me wrong. Get your bank account right. Focus on it. But you can't be defined by it because too many factors influence it. Yes, Neely Fuller. Actually, believe it or not, Neely Fuller is the first live voice that I became acquainted with when I started this journey back in 2005. Uh, as a junior in high school, I came and how I came across Neely Fuller Jr. was the first person that I ever became acquainted with that just really shook me. The reason that I'm in the field of psychology now, Dr. Francis Crest Welsing, uh, was mentored by Neely Fuller Jr. And she mentioned him all the time. And so... I start to look at him and read his work. And you got to remember when all this stuff is going on, there's no internet. You're talking about having to go down and pull up Microfish, uh, write universities paper, write uh, different publishing companies for stuff, get books. I mean, it's the way that it had to be done back then, but I was determined to learn everything I could about what was being taught. And it was Neely Fuller Jr. that taught me uh, something that I stand on today about black male and black female love. And that is, he taught me uh, through his works that there are nine areas of human activity. And one is uh, 
sex, sexual activity is one of the areas of one of the nine areas of human activity. And he says every area of human activity is impacted by racism. And then he followed it to make the sex part make sense. Like how is sex uh, impacted by racism? Who you sleep with uh, dictates your thinking. Who you sleep with literally dictates your thinking. Who you commit to and take vows to will dictate your thinking. And how you approach life. It's, it's it's immensely important. And so this is something that I have just grown. And so I came across these people, man. Dr. Amos Wilson. Uh, unbelievable. Dr. Naeem Akbar. Uh, and I can go on and on uh, about people who are still, well, still, you know, Dr. Khalid and Dr. Wilson are no longer with us. But some of these people are still alive. And it, it, it is amazing what's possible when we see the true totality and demand of who we are. Uh, Crown Christ. Everybody has their way of doing it. You know, you came to some gatekeepers and what you did is you toned it down in order to get through the door. And I, I, I'm not dare going to speak against what you did in order to feel like what you had to get. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure if I would look at some part in, in the earlier stages of my life where I was getting through this, you know, especially in academia, uh, you know, it was a need for me to sit up and say, OK, this is how you want it done. I'll do it that way. Understanding that once I got this, you can't take it from me. Then you're going to get to see me. You're going to have to look at me. You're going to have to see me. So I'm going to play it your way. I've been there. But when I talk about the people who came to me in business, I'm talking about in the last 10, 12 years after I rebuilt my business, after everything went awry. And I could have easily been in that position of having saw what it looks like to lose everything and be at the bottom. I could have said, man, I'm getting this money. If, if I got to tone it down in order to get this, especially talking about uh, a client called First Choice Lighting in in Britain, uh, another client in Sydney, Australia, where I was doing all of their content. And so this was how I was eating and building. And I stood my ground because you have to have something you're willing to stand for, even something you're willing to die for. And I never missed a beat. Uh, I kept going and that's the way I did it. But yeah, I think that you have to know the strategy of how to play the game. You have to know the strategy. But see, that's another part of just being in who you are and really, it, it, uh, and, and, and really truly understanding the way to navigate. And that's a big part of it. Most of the problems we uh, encounter and the situations we find ourselves in is because we don't know how things work. We are at a loss for understanding how things work. So the people who know how things work tend to manipulate, control, rewrite narratives, push ideas, concepts. Even this whole idea, this whole idea of the high value man being a man who earned six figures. Man, do you know how many people who earn six figures that shouldn't be leading anybody? They don't have what it takes to lead. They don't have a concept outside of self. It's all about them. What I earn has earned me the right to. And that's a problem. My whole thing is get your paper. 
but get your paper with an understanding of how you're going to use your position to not only better yourself, but better those you love. Be an influence in the community. And like I said, I live my life with one thing in mind. I'm building a legacy. What does that mean? I'm building a legacy. I'm building something that will be so powerful that it will outlive me, that it will speak of me after I'm gone, that my great, great, great grandchildren will be able to look and see the impact I had on the level of life they're living. That's a legacy. That's a part of man. It's not just the pat on the back I get now or the stroke of my ego because I do this or I've done that. It's about what can you do that has a lasting value. That is ultimately where it all lies. And I'm going to leave you with this. Until we truly discover who we are as a people, both men and women, until we are willing to address the generational trauma, the disintegration of the black family, the need to protect our youth, the need to holistically educate our youth, the need to walk hand in hand and not see one another as the enemy. We will never achieve true liberation and empowerment because it has to be done as a collective. On that note, look, I'm gonna get out of here. Like I said, don't forget to support the work we're doing. Have an unbelievable and awesome day. I'm out.